0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis, and I'm really excited this evening because we get to tackle the largest chapter in the whole book, Uh, chapter 24, of course, the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca, and as I'm sure you can well imagine, anytime you are treating a a chapter of this size. There are many lessons to be had, and we will tackle those lessons. Our treatment of chapter 24 will not be reduced to just this evening. I have every anticipation that this will extend into tomorrow. Now, that being said, what I did want to do was just tidy up one point that I was talking about last week. I mentioned uh, the cave of Machpelah. The cave of Machpelah. Uh, where Sarah was buried, right, in chapter 23, we read in chapter 25 verses 9 to 10 that Abraham was also buried there. And not only Abraham, but also Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, that we will talk about this evening, and also Jacob and his first wife, Leah. You know, we do so many things today, and we might not really think about why we do what we do in our traditions and our rites and so on and so forth. But much of what we do is rooted in what was done hundreds, thousands of years ago. To the simple fact of being buried with our loved ones. This is what we see in sacred scripture. Just not Abraham and Sarah, but also uh, Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, and Jacob and his first wife, Leah. Uh, We read about that in Genesis chapter 49, verses 29 to 32. Now, you might ask the question... Where were they buried? Some locate this in Shechem in central Palestine. Stephen follows this tradition, this Samaritan tradition, in Acts chapter 7, verse 16. So, in central Palestine, uh, they would have been buried. All right, so I just uh, thought that was an interesting point that when you get into the book of Genesis, you discover these finer details that, that are at the very least intriguing for me. Okay, now. In Genesis 24, we come to one of the greatest love stories known to, to man, the blind marriage of Isaac and Rebecca, the famous blind marriage of Isaac and Rebecca. The story, though, of Isaac and Rebecca, really does move beyond just that classic tale of, of boy meets girl, right? This is sacred scripture. <laughs> it is a wonderful revelation of the sovereign work of God, driving each scene, is the implied question, how will God carry out his incredible promises? We know, as we have been talking about, Abraham has been promised immeasurable seed, right, that will bless the earth. So the questions abound specific to what Abraham is asking in this chapter. What woman will the Lord find for Isaac to further his promise? How will he overcome the inevitable human stumbling blocks? In this account, my friends, what we discover is God is faithful as we are faithful to his word, huh? And goodness gracious, (laughs) marriage and faithfulness is a topic and topics that we all need to hear and reflect with, right? All right, now our story begins with these words. And this is chapter 24, verse 1. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Now, you might be asking the question, Joe, (laughs) I mean, Abraham, I know he was blessed, but this does not coincide with how we typically think about blessing. What is going on? Well, I think we fail in interpreting the gospel when we equate Uh, blessing with prosperity, right? Because blessing is not about prosperity, but being in favorable standing with God. That's what the Greek word means. You know, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, when he gives us his, his charter for holiness there on the Sermon on the Mount, the Greek word employed there is makarios, to be in favorable standing with God. And so then the question that begs to be asked is what? But How do we acquire being in that favorable standing with God? By accumulating things? No. But by divesting ourselves of things that we might be more open to God. So please don't make the mistake of saying that we have been blessed because all that we have received. Yes, all is blessing. Sure, and when we receive certain things maybe a gift from someone, or yeah, we we have finally saved enough money to purchase something. That is a blessing from God. But do not reduce blessing to just what you accumulate by way of the material good, because that would be a mistake. Sometimes something can actually be taken away from us, and that be the blessing, if it in fact opens us up to the love and mercy of God. Something to keep in mind is that when we acknowledge the Lord's blessings, it is then that we take a step forward in recognizing how God works providentially in our lives, huh? All right. Now, moving along here. In verses 2 to 4, Moses moves from an introductory comment to the storyline, and again, speaking to Moses as the author of Genesis, into something altogether different. Abraham is an old man. We know that. And like many men, Abraham makes use of his, dare we say, golden years by getting his house in order, right? One of the things that was high on his to-do list was what but finding a godly wife for his son Isaac, who we know, according to chapter 25, verse 20, that he was approximately 40 years old. So Abraham is looking at his situation and, and saying, yeah, it's time to get my son a wife. So he sends for his unnamed servant and makes a very important request. Please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife from my son, Isaac. All right, now, the oath Abraham makes with his servant seems probably to you and I a little odd, a little bizarre, but this was customary in Abraham's day. And certainly what we've already talked about is that this oath alludes to what but circumcision. Now here Abraham insists what but that Isaac marry a woman who is a believer. And I find this to be a salient point in this whole narrative. It is very important to Abraham, that Isaac marry a woman who was a believer, that Isaac find a godly spouse. Why? Because Abraham understands the importance of a godly spouse. Abraham understands the importance of a spouse who is willing to challenge his or her beloved. In this case, of course, her beloved Isaac. If we are going to be the best version of who God is calling us to be, if you are married, we need our spouses to challenge us because no one knows us better other than God than our spouses, right? Marriage is a blessing. Now a point of tension in our story hits in chapter 24 verse 5 when Abraham's servant says what? But suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? This is a very uh, legitimate question, right? This is not the age of the internet, my friends. A young woman cannot go to some internet website, look at a man's picture, read about his interests, and then make a thoughtful selection. We didn't have that 15 years ago, right? I think we tend to kind of forget that. What Abraham is seeking to do requires what but blind faith. And not too many women are so eager that they will step out sight unseen. Now, in chapter 24, verses 6 to 8, Abraham resolves the tension when he says, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you. And you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will not be free from this oath then you will be free from this, my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So here, twice Abraham warns his servant not to take Isaac back to Ur. This is faith. Abraham knows God has called him out of Ur and has promised him abundant descendants and land. So he is willing to trust the Lord in whatever he chooses to do. Is this not a great illustration of working out our salvation? What is that great passage that comes to us from Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, where we are called to work out our salvation in fear, and trembling? When God calls you, he calls you out of one thing and into another thing, right? This is trust. This is faithfulness. He wants us to move forward and and press on. This is what is exemplified in this narrative. By the way, what about this angel who's kind of sent out as a scout? What is the role of the scout, right? To kind of go ahead and see where there might be dangers ahead. You see, my friends, the role of the angel in this passage is very much the role of the Holy Spirit In our life today, huh? When we are formed in our faith and we invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit kind of acts as a scout in our life. It says, go there, don't go here. Go here, don't go there. (laughs) That is the role of the Holy Spirit in our life as we seek to make prudential decisions. All right, so that being said, after hearing the strength of Abraham's convictions, What do we read there in chapter 24, verse 9? The servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So the point of this section is to show Abraham's concern for God's promise that was to to come to the descendants of Isaac. And so it is in these verses, he also takes upon himself what but the responsibility of ensuring that God's program continues on to what but the next generation. My friends, like Abraham, we must be willing to claim God's promises and to do all we can to ensure that his kingdom can be found in our own families and certainly in our church. How about chapter 24, verses 10 to 27? In chapter 24, verses 10 to 27, we enter really a new section there we read in verses 10 to 11, then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of what was in the master's hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Nahor was the brother of Abraham. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. That should have your biblical antennas up there, huh? A well, a well of water. Verse 10 encompasses hundreds of miles. And for all intents and purposes, my friends, several months as the servant assembled a caravan and and made his way to Mesopotamia. In chapter 24, verse 11, there is a subtle wordplay going on connecting this section with the previous section the text records that abraham's servant made the camels kneel down now this appears to be a pretty unnecessary detail but as you've heard me say on more than one occasion there is never never in sacred scripture anything that should be deemed unnecessary (laughs) especially when you get into the hebrew why because the camels kneeled down The Hebrew word for "neil" is Barak. Barak. This is the same Hebrew word for what? But bless. The same Hebrew word used in chapter 24 verse 1. So Moses is drawing the reader's attention to the fact that the arrival at the proper place was, well, all a part of the divine blessing. My friends, God's hand is in the events, is in the details of this story. In chapter 24, verse 12, the servant prays, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Now, notably here, what do we see? This unnamed servant is the first person described in Scripture as asking for divine guidance at a a critical juncture. Remember, we are only in the book of Genesis, so a lot of what we are reading are firsts, if you will, as the book of Genesis literally means the beginning and what is first. So this is the first time you read of someone asking for divine guidance at a critical moment in a journey. So instead of having some Miss Mesopotamia contest. <laughs> this godly servant arrives in Nahor, and immediately goes to prayer. Do we pray for guidance from the outset or as a last resort? Does this unnamed servant, like I said, have some big gathering of of women from from Nahor to find some beautiful woman who would win Miss Mesopotamia? No. He arrives there. And the first thing he does is pray. Because maybe he, he wouldn't have found that one woman that he was looking for. And then he would have been left to what? But pray. So why not save time and pray first? <laughs> and note the boldness of prayer. He asks for God to provide a wife for Isaac today. We do also have to understand that sometimes God says, not yet. And we are intended to persevere in our prayer. The servant prays that God will show loving kindness to his master, Abraham. Uh, incidentally, the word there in the Hebrew is chesed. Oh, have we talked about that word before? Hased That is the Hebrew word for God's mercy. It specifically refers to God's covenantal loyalty. You see, abraham's servant can pray with bold confidence because he knows in his faithfulness that the god of abraham is faithful to his promises that the god of abraham will come through because he said he will come through you know so often in our life and especially in our marriages we put the unfair burden upon our spouses to be someone who they simply cannot be and that is perfect Only God can be that for us. Only God can be that for us. And so we always have to put God first in our marriage. Oh, sure. Can we seek to always come through for our spouses? Of course. And that's what we shoot for. Always. But we are imperfect. And we have to be careful about putting the unfair expectation of our spouses being perfect. God always comes through. All right. The servant goes on to say here in in chapter 24, verses 13 to 14, behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers drink and i will water your camels also may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant isaac and by this i will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master okay so let us take a step back here culturally it was a normal act of hospitality to provide water to thirsty travelers right but the idea that a woman would also provide water for 10 thirsty camels was, well, we could say going far beyond what would normally be expected, right? So in praying this prayer, the servant stacked the deck, if you will, against finding someone. I mean, could we not say that it would take a remarkable woman to volunteer for this lowly and back-breaking task? Yet, what is it that we read in verse 15? Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. Did you catch that? While the servant is praying, the answer is already on the way. God knows the deepest desires of our hearts. of our hearts. He simply desires that we desire him as much as he desires to shower us with his graces. And he is so gracious and faithful that he often is in motion, even when our prayer is unfinished. And of course, we know the servant's answer to prayer is named Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, a second cousin of Isaac. This is exactly what Abraham was seeking for his son. And of course, in verse 16, we read, The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. And no man had relations with her. So Rebecca was very beautiful. Her appearance isn't the primary basis of the servant's choice, but it is always interesting to note that God chose a wife for Isaac that would be attractive. She was a virgin, right? So she didn't practice safe sex, but she saved sex for marriage. She understood that sex was a gift from God to be enjoyed in the covenant of marriage. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. Now, at this point in her story, Abraham's servant is beside himself. He runs up to meet Rebecca and says, Please, let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Okay, in many respects in these verses, (laughs) Rebecca demonstrates an amazing servant's heart. What do I mean? Well, to grasp this, we must remember that the ancient well was a very large a very deep hole in the earth that actually had steps leaning down to the spring water so that each drawing of water ultimately required substantial effort what else here a camel can consume 25 gallons of water in a matter of 10 minutes as the commentaries tell us so with a water jar holding about three gallons of water what does this mean Well, that Rebecca made probably 80 to 100 descents into the well. I mean, this is incredible. And I know you read these verses and this might not be something that jumps out, but my friends, we are made to appreciate the greatness of Rebecca's heart, a servant's heart. Now, interestingly, Rebecca didn't realize that she was about to become an integral part of God's eternal plan of salvation by marrying Isaac. She just simply served because it was the the pattern of her life. God reveals his salvific love if we enter into the real essence of what it means to love service. Here I'm also reminded of those all-important verses that come to us from Ephesians 5 verses 22 to 25. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior as the church is subject to christ so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her what do you have going on here well my friends love begets more love if you were to sit down with a wife any wife And asked her about her experience of married love, specific to when her husband gave his life to her. I'm sure when the dust settled, she would have something positive to say about the beautiful gift of serving that man. If you were to sit down, a man, and ask him the joys that come with laying his life down when he is served, there's this mutual self gift in the end, and that's what makes married, love, work. For the husband to be called to lay down his life, like Christ did for his church, is an extraordinary vocation and one that highlights the essence of what love is all about, service. So one is at the service of the other, and the other is at the service of the one, right? Always read those verses together. Don't isolate them because that's dangerous. Um, by the way, just by way of footnote a piece that many commentaries pick up on. Both Jacob and Moses found their future wives where? But at a well, after long journeys. And what do these stories anticipate, all of them? But what took place in John chapter 4, where Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman, and he called the Samaritan people, vicariously through this woman, to be his bride? Essentially, the book of John, chapter 4, is that great narrative which speaks to how all Christian peoples are to see Christ as their beloved, and that encounter happened at a well. Okay, I've been looking up at the clock and we are out of time. As I anticipated, uh, we weren't going to get through all of this chapter this evening. We will just kind of pick up here with verse 21 tomorrow as we continue our reflection into this beautiful and powerful episode of the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.